Hello, my name is Demi Lola, and I'd like to welcome all of you to the ASA podcast. Unfortunately, my editor and co-host, Prachi Patel, will not be able to join us this evening due to outlining circumstances. So before we begin, I'd like to kind of give everybody an idea of the inception of this ASA podcast. It really started off as an idea between Prachi and I because Prachi has always wanted to start a podcast. She really wants to make an impact on this world and, and this community the best way she knows how, through conversation. Personally, I've always wanted to be a part of ASA. I remember looking back at Bear Fair and seeing an African Student Association, something extremely cool that was similar to a club that I had back at high school. And as a Nigerian-American, I thought it would be a perfect opportunity for me to network and make new friends on campus. Um, However, during my first year at Mercer, I didn't really see ASA taking center stage as much as I thought it would due to the amount of black students and African-American students that are on campus and the overall population of Macon as a whole. It is filled with black individuals. And I was very surprised that um, a lot of black organizations and ASA specifically wasn't at the forefront or didn't have as much prominence as I expected it to before I came to Mercer. For this reason, I joined this club and I became a part of the executive board in order to lift up ASA, in order to further promote it and get more people involved in it because I really believe that ASA is a club that is truly special and can go very far if the effort and the support is there. So the purpose of ASA itself is to unite non-African students with students of African descent to educate the students about African culture and tradition. Through this, students can engage and learn about African culture through meetings, cultural events, community service projects, fundraisers, lectures, etc. We hope to enhance the socio-cultural development of the campus through dialogue about African affairs and its relation to the Western world. So that just gives a background of the purpose of ASA, what we're all about, and what we hope to accomplish by being a club on this campus. So for the rest of the semester, ASA has a few super duper fun events that we're planning. One of them being an Afrobeat Zumba class. Zumba has always been a great way to get your exercise in, but still have fun, not really feel like you're exercising. And Afrobeats is an amazing musical genre um, that's perfect for getting your heart pumping, getting your body moving, and obviously having a great time while you're doing so. We would also... We're also looking to have a few game nights um, with things like bingo, where prizes would be distributed at the end for the winners, of course, and also maybe a flea market and further podcasts and discussion panels talking about various issues concerning Mercer and its relation to African-American and Black students on campus. Um, When it comes to Mercer University, and the COVID-19 situation, a lot can be said. So first, I'd like to talk about the availability the availability of testing. Um, I've heard from professors and other students that Mercer has really struggled with giving out tests when people have requested for it to happen. Um, and that if you didn't have Mercer insurance, 
then it was also harder for you to be streamlined in the process of getting tested. I don't, I mean, obviously that's not something that can be allowed because we're living in a pandemic and it doesn't make any sense for a university to limit the amount of testing that's being done when that could just further exacerbate the outbreak that's already happening in Georgia and the world over. Um, I've also seen like professors walk into classrooms without their mask on. I've seen um, students in my class or like fellow students in my classes with their mask below their nose um, or taking their mask off to cough and sneeze and not using the proper uh, protocol to ensure that their germs aren't spread everywhere. When it comes to disinfecting the classrooms, uh, I know that it's up to the students to clean, of course, but I've walked into classrooms sometimes and the, the disinfectant bottle has not been full or there have not been any paper towels to wipe down the desk with. Also, before classes started, I saw that we were supposed to not only take our temperatures in our own homes, but as we arrived to class, the professors were trying, we were supposed to take our temperatures there as well to ensure that nobody with a fever or who exhibited symptoms of COVID-19 was allowed inside the classroom. While I understand that this is a very hard thing to do because nobody wants to approach somebody who could potentially have COVID. It is a very risky thing to try and put a professor in a situation where they have to now get close enough to take the temperature of a student who may potentially have this virus. Um, so all of that's understandable. However, it it doesn't really mesh well with the idea that we're doing everything that we can to prevent the spread of this virus. Not saying that we're not, but I, of course we are in some ways, but there are also areas of improvement. Um, now where those area of, areas of improvement are, I don't have a fully documented outline for that, but I think um, there are definitely areas we need to improve. Another thing that didn't make sense to me was that when we were moving in, you could, you would take your test and then you could immediately move in. And that's a hazard because without the results, you don't know if a person that you just allowed to move in has COVID or not. So potentially, you could be allowing students to move in and come into contact with their roommate who they may take off their mask for because they're going to think that they're going to be living with them, so it might not matter. But you're, it's increasing the risk of exposure amongst the student body by not letting us have the results before moving in. That part just didn't make sense to me. Um, and also the aspect of no breaks. I, I understand the, the desire for um, students to want to stay, for like the university president and everybody to implement no breaks um, with the hope that students would want to stay on campus because of a lack of break. Because I know that uh, a break can incentivize, incentive, yeah, incentivize a student to leave campus and go to other places. However, just having a weekend is enough for students to go home. Not everybody lives far from their homes. People live like an hour, two hours. I personally live like two hours away from my home. I know that's the same case for a lot of other students on campus. So us not having breaks doesn't stop the possibility of us not only leaving campus, but also individuals coming onto our campus and socializing with us and everything like that. 
and the lack of breaks has honestly had a a big toll on me personally and I know of other friends who have also suffered due to this lack of these lack of breaks when you don't have breaks it's it's one assignment after the other we're always as soon as you finish one test one project one one prepared speech one research assignment whatever it's you're moving right into the next one so you never have a chance to really catch your breath and it's kind of like you're giving yourself a trade-off between taking care of yourself potentially like mentally or making sure you just you're shoving out uh work like a, a wood shredder or something you're just shoving stuff out shoving stuff out trying to keep up with your classes the best way that you can and because our semesters are shortened some of the professors haven't accommodated um for this shortened semester so the same quality and the same um and an, at the same quality of work at an increased speed is being expected of students and i know that's very hard for i'm at least like personally it's been very very hard for me to try and keep up with all of my assignments and still try to keep my head above water socially and like mentally and not become downtrodden with all of the things that I have to do outside of just schoolwork alone or to try and take care of myself because you can't just work, work, work all the time. Even when you move into a professional field, you're not stuck just working all the time. You're allowed to have PTO. You're allowed to take days off. But I feel as though here at school, when we don't have these breaks, and even if we do um, elect to take days off, then we're caught in this rigmarole and this... Um, this awful storm of trying to constantly catch up and that's that's been very difficult it's either you continue to work and you're you're lost in your work because you haven't had a mental break or um your the quality of your work slowly begin begins to decline as the semester progresses or you take breaks for yourself but it comes to the cost of you falling very, very far behind in your work. And now you're constantly in a battle between keeping up with your work and being like catching up with the work that you missed, but also staying on top of the work that's the new work that's being assigned. So it's just, it's an awful storm to be a part of, at least personally and from the experiences that I've seen within my friends and other people that I've spoken to about this. The whole purpose behind breaks seems to just be defeated. Um, due to the nature of our university itself. Um, the way that Mercer has been handling the situation, I will say that I know uh, um, many other schools in Georgia and in universities across uh, the state, um, the, the country, have gone to school for two weeks and then had to shut down and and just have this constant battle between being open, being closed, and changing their protocol, or um, not having enough testing for their students. But, and Mercer in this regard has been better than other schools. We have been able to stay open all this time. We have had ample testing available for um, students and faculty who elect to take the test. Um, even though it may take some pushing, it has been people have been able to get tested for COVID. So that's been good. Um, so yeah.
But, but I will say, Versa does still have issues with this whole testing thing. I know um, <clears throat> schools like Emory where if, even if you've come into um, close contact with somebody who has been tested positive for COVID through contact tracing, then you are supposed to get tested. But here at Mercer, I've got emails of people, uh, like many, many from the provost, saying that somebody in my class has been tested positive for COVID, but I haven't been, like, it takes me saying, okay, yeah, I want to get tested for for me to get tested. And even then, it has taken some persuading that, no, I deserve to get tested, I need to get tested in order for my test to happen at all. And I've even known um, somebody at one point that I know uh, who got, who tested positive. I was in close contact with this individual. However, that they, the medical school or the student health center never reached out to me to say, hey, you were in close proximity to this person who tested positive. We suggest that you get tested. So if I had been asymptomatic and been carrying around this virus and I'm living with my roommates and everything, I could have been exposing them to the virus. So it's just stuff like that that I feel needs to be worked on. Um, I don't have a 18 million bullet pointed list on how Mercer can improve on its quality um, when it comes to handling the COVID-19 situation. But if you guys do, and if you have suggestions, and if you want to elaborate on the conversation, you're more than welcome to in the group chat, of course. Or if you just want to have a discussion in general with your peers, that's always encouraged as well. Um, now I'd like to uh, turn the conversation toward Brianna Taylor. Uh, I know, for those of you who don't know, Brianna Taylor was an EMT who was fatally shot March 13th earlier this year. Um, in her own home, the police invaded her home without a search warrant. Her boyfriend didn't know who they were. He put out a gun, thinking it's an armed robber or something like that. And the police fired. Brianna Taylor was killed in the crossfire um, in these this tragic unfurling of events. So the tragedy behind Brianna Taylor is twofold. Not only because it took over 85 days for the police officers who murdered her they did murder her to get charged or have any type of repercussions. But if you look at the police report, there was no statement that this was a homicide, this was a murder. It was treated as if this was a lack of care being given to her case by the police who had done this injustice to her. On the flip side, um, the, the tragedy also lies in the fact that it took another black male george floyd the the tragic death of that man in may for the conversation about brianna taylor to be brought up more so the issue is that it shouldn't take the mass killings or the the repeated deaths of these black individuals for the conversation to be had and for justice to to be called um for the call for justice to be dished out, to be had, if that makes sense. It's unfair that the conversation about the tragedy of her death wasn't had before, just for the sake of her being a black woman who died at the hands of police brutality. That in and of itself should have been a larger conversation than it was. It should have, it should have gotten more attention 
and it deserved more attention than it was allowed. So I know for um, fellow African-American and black women on this campus and the nation over, it's a very sad and frightening sight to see because that very well could be any one of us. So just a reminder, everybody out there to remember to stay vigilant, stay safe, tell your loved ones that you love them, keep in close contact with them because, you know, this is the world that we live in. Um, there is a vigil that is supposed to be held for her tomorrow. There, the discussion board happens at 2 p.m. through Zoom, and then the vigil itself is happening at 7 p.m. in the historic quad. The historic quad is um, the area where Night Hall in Willingham is, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the area. Um, and though ASA is not the, we are not the ones who are running the event, we are not sponsoring the event, however, we fully support it. So I want to let everybody know about that. Now I'd like to, again, turn the conversation to another very, very uh, difficult issue happening in a lot of like African countries, namely Nigeria at the moment. It is about SARS. And for those of you who don't know about SARS, SARS is the Special Anti-Robbery Squad and was assembled in 1992 after armed robbery became rampant as most army and police resources were being used to find the person who murdered a Nigerian army colonel at a Lagos checkpoint. Since SARS began, it has abused its use of power by unlawfully arresting, harassing, kidnapping, detaining, murdering, raping, extorting, and stealing money from the same citizens they are meant to protect. Um, a lot of activists have been flooding the streets in places like Abuja, which is the capital of Nigeria, Lagos, which is a major city in Nigeria. And this is, don't get me wrong, this is not only happening in Nigeria. It is happening in many countries in Africa that are that are flooding the streets in protest of SARS and in protest of police brutality as a whole. Again, I want to reiterate, this is not just a Nigerian issue, it's not just an American issue. This has been shown to be a world over issue of police brutality that they are facing. So protesters in, I'm mostly gonna speak about Nigeria because I have more information about Nigeria, but protesters in Nigeria have been receiving inhumane treatment. Um, around 10 pro protesters have died as of uh, late due to these uh, extreme measures that the police officers have been using. They have released water hose cannons on these protesters. They have released like, um, like real weaponry on these protesters. And it's a real, it's an act against human rights. Like everybody should be allowed to protest peacefully. They should be allowed to flood the streets. They should be allowed to demand justice from their government. However, the government isn't giving them the rights and the, the respect that they deserve. So that's that has been very hard. Um, it's, the way that the protests have been happening, it almost feels as though we're back in 1954 or the 1960s and we're marching in the streets with Martin Luther King Jr. Like this is not just, it, this is a perennial problem. This is one that we are continuing to face and that we as a community, as African-Americans, as black Americans, as 
uh, Nigerians, as Ethiopians, as Kenyans, wherever you're from, that we we need to address as a community because it does affect all of us. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So I don't want it to be as though, oh, well, that's just happening over overseas. That's a, that's a Nigeria problem. That's the Ethiopia problem. That's the Kenya problem. No, it is all of our problem because we are all connected. We are all a part of this community. Even my listeners who may not be African-American, who may not be Black, this, I still want to urge you as one of the purpose, as is the purpose of ASA, we are trying to bridge a, build a bridge of understanding between um, individuals of African descent and non-African descent. We want you to understand these issues and why it means so much to us and why it affects us so much because it does affect us the world over. I'd like to take the time now to read some testimonies from individuals who have um, come face to face with the injustice of these SARS representatives. So the first person I'm going to read their testimony from um, goes by the initials AO. It is a 29-year-old male. He states, driving home after a night out with my friends in Abuja, which is the capital of Nigeria, and it was barely 10 p.m. when I pulled aside at a checkpoint simply because I was fortunate enough to own and drive a Benz. Regardless of my briefcase being in the car, the SARS officer stopped me and asked me for my driver's license and particulars. He simply glanced at it and cocked his gun that I would follow them because I'm a suspect. They started dragging me by my pants like I killed someone. Plus, a fully cocked gun was being pointed at me. I stood on the road trying my possible best not to get dragged into the vehicle because I knew that would have been the end. Lucky for me, my friend was passing that road and came down to assist. Turns out the SARS officer who pulled me over couldn't read. My life would have been taken by someone who couldn't read what he requested for. The next person is Teniola. They're 23 years old and they are also a male. I was in an Uber heading to my friend's birthday dinner and as we were approaching Chevron, I saw some SARS officers. Immediately, my Uber driver told me to hand him my phone, which I didn't understand. So they stopped us and the first thing they asked for was my phone and what I do. After I told them, they asked me to unlock my phone, which I did. And the next thing, they were checking my WhatsApp and my emails. Then they asked me why I have an international number messaging me. I told them it was my cousin. They didn't want to listen. They pushed me into their van, and while I was trying to explain, they said if I want to build my phone, I should get them 150K. I realized I really wasn't opportune to call anybody because they seized my phone. So they literally escorted me to the bank, holding my phone because they said I could run away. Finally, we were able to bargain for 85 thousand naira which they counted in front of me before they released my phone to me another male kareem he is 23 years old says one time when i went for search festival on my way back it was me and three of my other friends when we were stopped by stars i was driving so they didn't have a problem with me i assumed they thought i was the uber driver because i was driving a toyota they started going through my friend's phones so eventually they found a video of one of them smoking that's how they said they were going to impl implicate him because he had weed. We begged and begged, normal thing. We were trying to settle them, asking them how much they wanted. They were actually demanding for 200K from us. We were like, for what? They took my friends to their van. There's no one I didn't call. They took us from Victoria Island to the mainland, like Fadei side. They were threatening to shoot and kill us. We eventually gave them 100K that we didn't have. So there are many cases such as this. There are many testimonies about the mistreatment that SARS has done to um, 
Nigerian people and other people uh, the world over, like in other various African countries. Um, and while the Nigerian government has said that SARS will be dissolved, that SARS will no longer be a functioning entity of the police force there, a lot of protesters simply don't believe that this will happen. Some fear that a new police force with the same amount of corruption, the same amount of brutality will take its place. They're not just calling for a reform. They're not just calling for the, the dissolution of SARS itself, but for police reform as a whole. So as you can see, there, that parallels a lot to what's happening in America today, where we're at, well, some people are asking for the defunding of the police to go towards other programs such as education and building up other community aspects and infrastructure. Um, so really, the, the conversation surrounding police brutality and as it affects not only um, African-Americans, but Africans and people of African descent in general is a large one and it is a deep one that needs to be had, especially by the youth of today, us college students, because when you look at history, it wasn't mainly the the elementary middle schoolers who like, what are they actually going to do? And it wasn't the um, the eldest people in the community because a lot of them have are tied down due to various responsibilities as as that comes with age and everything. But it was university students who were going out and protesting and marching and calling for real change. And really, though they may not have been the main faces behind it, there were many university faces that, like student faces, who took charge in demanding justice, rightfully so. So I want to encourage all of you to continue to have these conversations amongst yourselves. If you can, please, please, please go out and support um, the vigil for Breonna Taylor. Remember to practice safe social distancing standards. Keep six feet away. Cover your face. Um, sanitize, sanitize, wash your hands as much as possible. And just stay safe out there. Thank you all for listening in. And I hope to see you next week for our new topics.